Hello everyone and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia Farm Team and this episode features important information for any farmer who hasn't yet signed on with a milk processor for the next financial year. We couldn't think of a better person to tackle this topic than Matt Harms from On Farm Consulting. Matt is a Gibson-based farm consultant who has previously worked as a field service manager for a milk processor, so he understands the issues from both sides of the fence. Matt is joined in the podcast by Gips Dairy Regional Extension Officer Karen Romano, who will take you through some of the key factors that need to be considered before signing on the dotted line. They start off this episode by looking at how things have changed for farmers since the recent introduction of the Dairy Industry Code of Conduct. Just before I let Matt and Karen get into it, Dairy Australia has plenty of resources around the code and milk supply agreements, so stay tuned at the end of the podcast and we'll fill you in on what's available and where you can find it. Thanks for joining us, Matt, today. Thanks, Karen. Uh, So let's kick off today with the Dairy Code. It's certainly a positive step for industry. What does it actually mean for farmers, Matt? Yeah, look, it's an interesting step for the industry. I think there was a lot of um, confusion and a lot of uh, uncertainty around the mandatory code, um, particularly from Victoria's perspective back over the last six months. But what we've seen is this, uh, this process kick off on the 1st of June. Um, and, and really what it's seen is not only the opening price um, all come out on the 1st of June, which was quite an interesting process, which I'll talk about shortly, um, but it's actually seen uh, a degree of formality being put in place around paperwork and milk supply agreements that farmers haven't had to cope with uh, before to any large extent. Okay, so in your experience in look, working with farmers right now, what, are, what have you come across and what have been the main questions? Look, the, the main thing, I think there's a bit of a um, really probably a, a lack of focus, if you like, or a bit of ambivalence around these milk supply agreements. And, and that's actually incorrect. Uh, it shouldn't be the case. Most of our farmers in southern Australia have had agreements in place, or essentially supply agreements in place with, with milk processors that are fairly loose. Um, they've been able to, to you know, come and go relatively freely. Um, there's generally always been someone there, someone there to pick up the milk. Um, they've been able to make decisions for their business quite, quite quickly. And so now what they're seeing is um, there's quite a wad of paper. I think there's something uh, with one particular company, something in the order of 26 pages to go through. Um, and, and really that's, that's meant that, you know, they have to sit there and read it. They have to go through what's the, in the content of the, in, in this milk supply agreement um, and actually digest what it means for their business. And, and that's all on a timeline. Um, it's not something that can sit there on the bench until uh, August or September. So you've mentioned the timeline and that there's a lot of content there. What if I'm not in a position to actually understand it and um, in, in the plain language that I need to? What, what, what should I do? Look, it's a good question because essentially one of the elements of the mandatory code has certainly been around that these things need to be put in place in plain English and in, in an understandable manner. But of course, not everyone has the time to devote to that. Um, people's skills are different in terms of uh, reading and interpretation, uh, and especially with things like this that they haven't had to do before. Um, you know, a lot of the, the agreements or the supply agreements that people had with milk processors were, were one or two pages, um, which was contact details, a signature and, and where the pay was to go. Um, so really, if you don't understand it, it is something that you actually need to go and, and perhaps even just drop, make an appointment with your solicitor and go through any concerns. Now, you know, 
that's not being alarmist. It's just stating the fact that these are a written agreement. They are a binding agreement. And, and there are connotations for, um, for what people are signing. You know, it does mean that you are committed for a period of time. Um, now, not for the full season, but you have to give notice um, if you are exiting and if you are going to change, as we'll talk about shortly. All right. And um, so is there a timeline that farmers need to work towards um, well, with this process? Like when do they need to think about having um, this signed and finalised? Absolutely. So it's got to be done by the 30th of June. Um, there's a little bit of pressure I'm hearing from uh, out there in the industry that these need to be signed um, by a date that's sooner than that um, in June. That's actually not correct. Um, and I'd, I'd have some concerns if that was the case, that there was pressure being put on. Um, they have to be signed by the 30th of June. Um, they have to be returned, obviously, um, in, in, uh, within the timeline. Um, and so, you know, there is quite strong, or there are quite strong guidelines around this for processes to abide by but also for farmers to abide by. So that timeline is approaching. That's, you know, it's only a couple of weeks away and, and farmers do need to go through that process. Now, if obviously if people are looking to make a change in company and, and uh, who they're going to supply their milk to, um, they need to allow plenty of time for that process to go through to obviously look at options and then to go through obviously any paperwork in the milk supply agreement um, that they've got with, with alternative processes and what so that So the means. key message that you're wanting everyone to, um, or to highlight is that don't leave it to the last minute because it's not Absolutely. the last minute uh, thing. Farmers are notorious and it's not having a crack, but farmers are notorious for leaving things uh, to the last minute or th thinking that everything else is more important. Uh, unfortunately with this one, this is of high importance. So if farmers are considering to make a change or um, to uh, review their MSAs, what are some of the key areas that you think they should be looking at in making that decision? Yeah, look, it's a good question. I think a lot of the time, a lot of the focus goes on the price. And, and you know, historically, we've always looked weighted average price at opening or, or at closing as being, you know, the, the ultimate um, holy grail. It, it's, it's important, but it's not the sole importance. Obviously, the weighted average price that you might get for a company is, is made up, or the, the, the announced weighted, open, weighted average price is, is the individual milk price for each month on a particular milk flow. Now, different farms have different milk flows, and therefore, most of the processes have a varying price across the season, and we've seen that narrow a fair bit things like the nine three payment systems where there's nine nine prices um, in nine months, or sorry, one price in nine months and three uh, months with another price. Um, but essentially what that means is that will alter the milk price paid for you and your particular farm because of your milk flow, your timing of calving, how much milk you send in different months dramatically impacts on your actual individual price then the key um, thing that farmers need to do is they actually need to, um, when us doing an income estimation, they actually need to use their own data, that is their own milk supply and, and when it's produced on their particular farms. Would you like to comment further on that? Ab absolutely. So it's production. It's, it's obviously your, your components. It's your, the, the number of litres you're sending each month. 
but it's things like quality. Um, quality incentives, you know, historically were quite um, homogenous. There wasn't a lot of difference across the industry in terms of quality incentives. What we've seen is that change quite dramatically. Um, some of the more, you know, liquid milk supply companies, domestic processors have stricter levels of, you know, BMCC than what some of the export processors do. Um, you know, there's difference in collection fees. Productivity incentives have, have changed dramatically in the last couple of years, where we've now got companies that don't have a productivity incentive scale. Others have quite a, an elongated or quite a, a varied productivity scale. Um, some companies now are offering, you know, prices or their pricing systems have volume charge built into the price. It's not as a separate line item of volume charge. So really what we're seeing is quite a difference that does have an impact at the farm level on what your what the milk is that you're sending, what the quality is that you're sending, and and what the timing of that milk flow is and how that impacts. And so once again, I think that's a, um, a real key message to drive home, Matt, is that we, we can't just contrast. Um, uh, it's very hard to contrast these processes. And you, if you don't understand that process's payment system, then once again, you need to get advice. So there is absolute clarity. Absolutely. And just to expand on that a little bit further, we've got, you know, there there is difference um, across companies now with things like, as I mentioned, the volume incentives, productivity scales, um, uh, volume charge, collection fees, quality. But then you've also got differences within companies. So you've got the option with some companies to actually choose different pricing systems. Um, now, whether that's a difference of uh, protein to fat uh, payment prices, so two to ones and one to one uh, ratios. Um, so that's a difference. And then you've got different payment systems itself, like, as I said before, nine, three, or, uh, or a more sort of traditional um, payment system that rises after Christmas and, and peaks in sort of the, the late autumn, early winter time. So you've got different options within the same company um, as yeah. well that need to be compared. So mm -hmm. really the process should be that you, you do need to sit down and look at it quite clearly and quite uh, routinely, if you like, so that you are comparing apples with apples. And I think also it's probably important as a reminder um, that um, when um, a processor does an income estimation for you, they will actually use premium quality milk. Um, and if you don't think your milk is going to be premium quality all year, that's a consideration, Matt. Look, it is, Karen. I, I don't want to give away uh, any secrets, but um, the oldest trick in the book used to be when uh, when you were going to try and get a new supplier, of course, and you were doing an estimate for, for someone from another company um, that was supplying another company, of course, you would put it all in premium and uh, make the pricing look as good as it possibly could. And, of course, if that supply is six months of the year out of premium, there is going to be a large difference. And, and what it is, it's a bit like that bill shock, um, if you like. If you want to avoid bill shock, um, do your homework and, and perhaps even get the, the alternative company that you're looking to supply to run it through what your actual quality is. Because, mm. because the reality is it could make 20 or 30 cents a kilo solids difference across the year. Um, and that is a lot of money and it's a big variation in price. Another area I think um, that is worth just cautioning to Matt is that um, when the processor is giving you the in, um, income estimation, are they using opening prices or have they included step ups or 
other things into that estimation. That, that's right, and that's really one of the number one things to get right, have, and and to actually ask. And it is just a matter of asking the question. And what I'd perhaps even what I say with people is to ask for it at opening price only, because of course now step ups have become different to what they were if we go back 10 or 15 years ago, we always knew there was usually 10 to 15% of the price that would be a step up. Um, and that would be four or five step ups sometimes across the season. That's that's changed dramatically in the last five years. And, and as a result, um, you know, step ups are not as big a part of the milk price as what they were. Um, and so we do need to clarify, are they in? Or are they out now? Step ups are step ups and loyalty payments are still allowed as part of the mandatory code, um, and so they're still there. But what we need to clarify is: is the estimate that you're getting from a company inclusive of any projected step ups, or uh, or is it exclusive? And it's quite an easy thing to clarify. You just need to ask the question. Um, Matt, so I just wanted to step back a little bit and just um, get some clarification about the minimum price uh, that's been set um, and why it's so important. Can you comment a little bit about that as well? Look, it is, and, and you're right, it is a minimum price. So, and that's been a really positive step um, because it's the, it's the extras on top of that that then are important. So, of course, if there are quality um, incentives. So essentially, if you are always in premium, there will be a quality incentive on top of that. Um, there may be step ups or slash loyalty payments on top of that. Um, and, and there's been a big shift in there. The, you know, the, the real um, probably mistrust uh, in the industry over the last 15 years or so have been around loyalty payments where companies actually got quite mean spirited and said, if you leave us, you are not going to get any loyalty bonuses. Um, you're not, which are essentially a renamed step up. And that was a real backward step in the industry because what it, what it said was, it was really sort of tying farmers indirectly to milk supply um, or milk processes um, under the guise that if they left, they would miss out on any potential step up. Now, obviously uh, you won't be entitled to anything um, that, for milk that you didn't supply to a company if you do change but you're obviously entitled to a pro rata payment of milk that you did supply to that processor before you changed in that season. And that's a really good development for dairy farmers. Okay. And that comes back to, you know, making sure that um, the dealings between farmers and processors are in good faith and um, clear for both parties as well. Uh, what about um, for some farm businesses, there's complexity um, with share arrangements and the like. Um, anything that you'd like to uh, comment on there, Matt? Look, yeah, that's a, it's, it's one that's probably been not so much overlooked, but I think it has ramifications for um, share farmers and, and share farmers that are coming into uh, or onto a new farm or into a new arrangement. So what, what I mean by that is that farm may have signed up, um, you know, for the 1st of July with, with a processor. And obviously, if you were starting on that farm on, the, say, the 15th of July or the 1st of August or something like that, you would therefore be bound to supply that milk processor on that farm. And that may be a different processor to who you've been on previously or been with previously. So you just need to be aware of that. It's not an automatic transfer across because you were supplying a particular company um, that, that therefore I move farms and that goes with me. So you just need to clarify that where the farm that you're moving on to stands. 
But equally, when you're leaving a farm and leaving an arrangement, where, where you stand with things like loyalty payments, where you stand with um, giving notice to, to the milk processor so that you're exiting uh, within the time that's allowed within the milk supply agreement, um, and therefore uh, meeting all the requirements and all the obligations under this milk supply agreement that you've signed. Do farmers need to be aware of payment schedules when looking at the MSAs? Look, absolutely. The old, the old uh, rule of thumb was, you know, farmers were paid on the 15th of the month and now we've got different payment systems of, of milk pay uh, according to different companies and, and what their, their uh, systems are. So some are paid and, and have the option of being paid more frequently uh, and some are just paid still around that sort of 14th of the month. So ask the question. Um, don't, don't just assume. Uh, and particularly if you're making a change, um, seek out the knowledge of what the processor actually does for their milk pay. In terms of payment, is it always on a milk solids basis or um, is it weighted towards litres or fat or protein? Is there variability there too? Look, most of the uh, most of the larger processes in Southern Australia are milk solids basis. Um, obviously, once we step into other states, there are differences in, in other states. But from what I've seen, and certainly in New South Wales and, and Queensland, is that the the discussion is around a litres um, payment, but it is actually still compositional. It's still impacted by the fat and protein content of the milk. So, so it's just a different difference in terminology rather than a difference in actual payment system. There are some very big differences in things like uh, incentives and, and um, timing of payments and off-peak payments and the like, where they are done on a cents per litre basis um, in, in other states. But certainly in, in most of the southern states, larger processes are done on a compositional basis. Some of the smaller ones are definitely paying uh, on a cents per litre basis, but it tends to be the companies where they have one or two suppliers um, to the factory. This year has been quite unique, Matt, wouldn't you say, given for the first time on the 1st of June, we had absolute clarity about opening farm gate milk prices. What does that mean for farmers and how does that empower them? Yeah, Karen, I think it's been a great development. Actually, I was a bit sceptical about the process and what, it, what I think uh, was great is that we knew that we would know milk price on the 1st of June by 2pm. Um, and, and that's what we saw. We obviously saw a little bit of a flurry of activity immediately after that with, with a couple of changes um, from some processes. But really what it meant is that everyone knew where they stood uh, at that particular time. Um, we didn't have this sort of process of argy-bargy over a period of six or eight weeks um, where people were waiting for another company to come out in milk price before they made a decision. So what it's meant is that there's now quite a defined period of activity, and that's for the month of June. And for some, and I've heard the comment that some are saying that that's, they feel that that's too short a period of time, what it means, I, to me, I think a month is, is ample time, but you have to be organised. And, and you have to be organised in what, how you're going to approach it. Are you going to shop around? And if you are going to shop around, who are you going to approach? Um, possibly making an appointment with them to come, to come out to the farm and sit there at a defined period of time and, and to have all the information at hand. And in turn, that means that you need to be organised as a farmer to have your annual milk flow, what your monthly litres, fat and protein is, what your, what your quality is each month, and sit there and work through those numbers in quite a planned and methodical manner. 
manner. Now, if you can't do that yourself because you don't feel you've got the knowledge or you don't feel that you've got the expertise to deal with these companies, what some have chosen to do is to engage people to actually do it on their behalf. And that is, you know, someone to send an email out or to make contact with the different processes and to put your milk flow out there and get and get an answer back from those companies as to what it will mean for you and your farm if you supplied that company. Now, it's probably unnecessary to go to the extent of getting someone to actually then go through the next step of the milk supply agreement and, and all the finer details. But it starts the conversation and it narrows it down. It may narrow the options down for farmers to two or three that they're keen to follow up on and, and uh, look further into. Have you got examples, without mentioning names of clients, where you've seen um, a large variability in the, the money that a farm business can make uh, by making a change with processes? Look, absolutely. And I don't, once again, don't want to name names or name companies, but but if you look at it, I, I think there is, for a, for a very typical 250 to 350 cow farm, you know, we could be talking in the order of, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 difference across the year. And if, and if a farm can make that additional money for doing very little other than looking at the option, sitting down and going through this process, then it really makes a lot of sense. Um, the other thing that I really encourage people to do, and no one, well, few people do this, but is to do a bit of a review exercise and, and get to the end of the year and say, so when you're going through and looking at new options for, for the new season, is to actually say, okay, here's my milk flow from this season that we're just finishing. What was your price you've paid on this milk flow? And, and the old, uh, you know, the industry um, superannuation ad always says, you know, past performance is not an indication of uh, future performance. To some extent in the milk industry, it actually is. And, and past performance is extremely important because promises can be promises. And, and I think it's really good to look at immediate past performance in milk price and, and, you know, look back and see, this is what I would have got had I supplied my milk to another factory. Yeah, certainly, um, that is quite empowering for a business, isn't it? And then it can ha actually help you form your decisions moving forward. Uh, with that knowledge as well. Matt, uh, do all processes have the same penalties in place if um, there's a breach of quality of the milk being supplied? No, Karen, they don't. This is, a, this is quite a big shift that's happened in the industry, particularly over the last couple of years that farmers need to be really aware of. But I think now under the, the milk supply agreements, this is one area they really need to look into quite significantly and also have the discussion with their insurance companies. Things like product liability and, and where the farmer's liability ends. Um, so that is around when, when the ownership of the milk transfers. Is it when the tanker comes in and picks up the milk? Um, or is it actually when that milk gets to the factory and gets into the silo, if you like? And, and it has quite significant ramifications for farmers. Um, Previously, milk factories were, were probably quite lenient on things like antibiotic contamination and the like, and they had an ability to deal with it um, differently. Now, nowadays, um, they're a lot stricter, and I think that's a good thing for the industry. It's been a good development, but it's put a lot of the onus onto the farmer. And really, what people need to be doing is speaking to their insurance company very specifically around product liability insurance 
and what happens if they do contaminate a tanker or what happens if they contaminate a silo of milk and they are liable, what insurance do they have to cover that? And that is a very specific question they need to ask. Um, and so that would be one absolutely strong um, message in all of this is to have the question, don't assume. Uh, it's really, really risky to just assume that you're not liable, you need to ask the question. So it goes further than that too, in that saying, okay, what happens if you're looking to change supply um, and where you're going to send your milk? What is their, what are their liabilities and, and, and regulations and penalties and, and discounts? But equally, where do samples go to be tested for things like antibiotics? What support are you going to get around perhaps an antibiotic issue or a milk quality issue? Um, do they have field officers and, and milk supply officers on hand to help you? Or are you on your own in that regard and you need to seek out your own assistance? So actually, um, once again, not assuming that someone will be there to help you, ask the question, um, you know, what happens if this, if, if I have a quality issue, is there someone there to help me? Yeah, uh, some good advice there, Matt. And I think, um, gosh, when you think of millions of litres, if um, that's been impacted, by your business that could cost you a lot of money. So uh, seeking insurance sounds like a good investment to me. Matt, if, you, if I'm in a position and I decide to leave my processor, uh, what, are the, what, what should I consider when I'm in that position? Look, obviously, uh, as we mentioned before, there is a period of time that you need to give. You, you're signing into something and it's an agreement. Um, I don't want to use the word contract because I'm, I'm a bit scared to use that word contract, but it is an agreement that both parties have entered into in good faith. And that means it's both parties. It's not just, it's not just one. You, do, you don't want the milk processor to dump you without notice. Um, so equally the same applies to, at the farm level. You need to give notice. But you need to be aware too of what obligations you have, any money that may be owing under a finance agreement um, or an advance system that you've taken out at the start of the season you may have forgotten about. Um, but equally any um, commitment bonus or the like that you may have entered into to supply for a certain amount of time is going to obviously be altered. And, and whether the, A, the milk processor will allow you to breach or break, break that um, partway through the season, even with notice. Um, and if so, how much you would be owing um, to pay that back if you've had that as an advance payment. So they are critical things to establish um, when, you, when you're looking at changing supply. So Matt, in your experience, um, do people still, or suppliers still have loyalty um, or is it coming now down to a straight business decision that they need to make? Look, more and more it is becoming um, more of a business decision. And that's a good thing. Um, I think it's made, it's made people aware of what other options are there, what options are best um, for your farm business. And, and really what the package is that's being offered by the milk processor, you know, and, and that package includes price, but it also includes things like uh, supplier advances, um, support at the farm level um, by field officers and the like. Um, and, and also, you know, the way that the milk payment is done. Now, they're also now we've got a system of exclusive and non-exclusive supply as part of um, milk supply agreements. We haven't had that certainly in Southern uh, Victoria, to my knowledge, we haven't really had that before. Now that doesn't apply to most, most processes, uh, sorry, most farm businesses. Most people don't supply their milk to two uh, or, or more different places, but some people do. 
and and that's now allowed. But what you need to obviously be aware of is that there is a different price under that arrangement in the mandatory code that says they can do that. Um, and, and they're allowed to offer a slightly different price for exclusive or non-exclusive supply. And we saw that in the announced prices on the 1st of June for the first time um, in Southern Australia. So they, they are things just to be aware of. And that all comes down to that loyalty factor. I think loyalty is still alive. Most people don't change factories every year. We, we, we know that. I think there's a perception that there's a lot of movement, but I think largely farmers are loyal beings and, and like to support um, the people they know, the people they trust and, and the companies that, that have stood by them for a long period of time. And that's a good thing. But I don't think we should have blind loyalty at the detriment to your business. And I think if there's an opportunity to look at where your milk goes, um, in a very business-like and very professional manner by seeing what best suits you and your farm, then it's worth it. Great advice, Matt. Thanks so much for your time today. It, it's been fantastic um, uh, getting some inside information about what farmers should consider. Thanks, Karen. Thanks to Matt and Karen for that detailed and insightful discussion on a very important topic for dairy farmers at present. We need to point out that this podcast was a guide only providing some examples of terms to consider when you enter into a milk supply agreement. If you are unsure about any aspect of your agreement, it is recommended you seek legal advice. The Dairy Industry Code of Conduct creates a minimum standard as to how farmers and processors should deal with each other when they are entering into milk supply agreements. It creates rules that must be followed by both farmers and processors and about how they contract with each other. It is not a substitute for a complete milk supply agreement. For milk supply agreement checklists, including terms that are in the code and additional ones that are not, visit dairyaustralia.com.au forward slash msas. You'll find a number of resources on that same webpage that can help you negotiate new milk, milk supply agreements or renegotiating existing agreements. These resources are designed to assist in interpreting the code of conduct and take the grey areas out of contract negotiations between suppliers and processors. Suppliers can use the Milk Contract Checklist and Contract Discussion Guide to work through important legal and operational considerations for the farm business when they are negotiating contracts. Additional contract templates are available through ADPF and ADF. Well, I'm out of breath after all that, so we'd better wrap up this episode. You can find other dairy pods on SoundCloud or subscribe as usual at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening and bye for now. 